Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 77th episode of the Pulling Tar Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. Last week, we had a fantastic episode with Jesse Scaglione, and this week, we have his fiance, the talented Emma Tiedemann, director of broadcasting for the Portland Sea Dogs, AA affiliate of the Boston Red Sox. This will be the first time that we have a couple on the show. Make sure to go back and listen through the catalog, folks. There's definitely something for everybody back there. Uh, 76 other great episodes with amazing people that, that work in minor league baseball um, with so many different stories. It's amazing. Go check all those out. If you want a shout-out on the podcast, like it's so ridiculously easy. It's like not even funny. Drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drives us up the charts and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. Make sure to go follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Coon. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N for all up-to-date news about the Pulling TARP podcast. Also, if there are any businesses looking to partner with the Pulling TARP podcast, that's where you can reach out to me as well. Um, that's where you can reach out to come on to the to the show as a guest. With that being said, let's chat with Emma Tiedemann. Welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast, Emma. Um, so appreciative that you took the time out of your evening. Uh, you're on the road in New Jersey right now, um, near the new, I guess, the new home of the, the Somerset Patriots. So um, so thank you again for coming on. Uh, what exactly sold you on the decision to move from Lexington, Kentucky to Portland, Maine after calling back-to-back South Atlantic League championships? Um, it was a tough decision. Um, you know, I, I a lot of thoughts went into it, um, but at the end of the day, um, I had to remind myself what my overall goal in my life is, and mm-hmm. it, that is to be a major league broadcaster one day, um, and so specifically radio. Um, yeah. <laughs> so when I started with Lexington, you know, I finally had broken into affiliated ball, um, and was was really happy there, but I in the back of my mind I kept thinking I need to move up, I need to move up, and so um, one of my one of the things with Lexington was that I wasn't able to go on the road, okay. um, which I couldn't get a true feel of what it's like to call 140 games um, and, and really work that grind, and that was a that was kind of an issue, you know, like I, I wanted to be a front a full on front office staff who just happened to call the games at night I wanted to focus more on broadcasting get that aspect more than anything else so um, I had been looking at different jobs around the industry those two years um, turned one down didn't get a couple others um, and then Portland opened up and one of my best friends texted me and he's you know said are you gonna go for it and I was like oh Portland never opens up like are you kidding me like that would never happen and lo and behold I applied at like 11 o'clock one night and had a fantastic interview process with their whole front office staff and and knowing the care that they took in that whole process um, made me realize that that team really values their radio broadcast really values that product that they offer for fans it's exactly the place I want to be and so they flew me up there because I'd never been to Portland before sure. and made sure that I, the city, liked the atmosphere myself before I even, um, you know, made my decision because to them it had to be a good fit on both ends. So the whole process really solidified that Portland was the place for me to be and um, I couldn't be happier with that decision. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, just considering like the climate is is completely different. Um, but wow, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I don't feel like enough teams, especially it, it's like you know, like there's like been rise and fall of like radio in baseball, right? Like, like there there are you know, times in the industry where like a ton of teams value it, and then there are other times in the industry where they're like, oh, you know, like if we don't have a road broadcast, it's it's okay, you know. Um, so I'm glad that uh, Portland, you know, actually does value that position because I've worked in front offices that it wasn't valued. So I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely different. And it's, you know, when you're on the road, it's more than just the broadcast too because things mm-hmm. come up on the road and yeah. we're – on the second half of a two-week road trip, and I think it's kind of nice to have someone to represent the Sea Dogs. That if stuff comes up or whatever, you know, we can handle it. It's fantastic to be on the field and be here when we have our roster moves as well on the road, and not having to scramble getting trying to text with everybody and trying to find out a new number and all that kind of stuff. You know, if there's a question that, a question that comes up about the previous game, you know, I can walk down to the field the next day and talk to our manager or the players. And so, and on top of all of that you know, we can provide social media content that mm-hmm. keeps, you know, the fans and everybody engaged. You know, even if they don't listen to the radio broadcast, you know, social media doesn't have to go quiet for two weeks because we're on the road, you know, it's, so it's it, different layers to it, but yeah, at the end of the day, you know, that radio broadcast on the road, it pays off dividends um, in the long term. Yeah. I would have loved to have a radio broadcaster on the road when I was in Beloit because I was the, media relations and marketing director and like there were so many times at you know 15 minutes before the first pitch our manager might text me a roster move um but sometimes he didn't and there I would be listening to the game you know as they were on the road and I I would do like live tweets when when you know the score updated and stuff like that and there, I would be listening to the game, and I a guy would come into pitch, and I would be like, I have no idea who that guy is. So, um, so yeah, yeah I definitely value your position, and in definitely as a social media like content creator as well. Absolutely, I and you know it's funny in Lexington. I also had to you know painfully listen, you know painfully because I wanted to call those games, but mm-hmm. also write the recap and act like we were there. And so it was just like, just able to injury of like, we're not going to send you on the road, but you have to still work every night and, right. you know, and listen to these other broadcasters that, you know, no, no fault to their own. They're the home broadcast. So they're not going to talk about our guys as much. And so it's, it, yeah. And then you get those fun little, like, Oh, I guess he's joined our team now too. Um, it's just different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you've, you, like I was looking at your LinkedIn page and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's been all over the place. So, um, I do have a couple questions about, about your past. Did you ever get to meet Bill Murray when you were a broadcast and media relations assistant with the St. Paul saints? Yes. (laughs) Um, a couple of times actually. So he, he would just randomly come to the ballpark. Um, and so like there was one game, I was saying it was like in June and it's the saints. Like, I, I mean, if you've never been to a saints game, I think that everyone in their life should, because there's no more fun and pure joy than going to a St. Paul saints game. And, and I know I'm biased, but I mean, I've never been in an atmosphere like that. And so <laughs> there was one game that there was just walking around with a Panda costume head on the whole game, just walking around okay. later that night. We find out it's Bill Murray. And it was just like, what? Like, he never took it off. People were like, you know, thinking, oh, it's the Saints. This is fun. Like, let's take a picture with him. Not knowing that that was Bill Murray with the panda head on the whole time. <laughs> um, and then, but, I mean, it's Bill Murray. It's the Saints. It kind of right. makes sense. Yeah. And then towards the end of the season, uh, he he came back. And he was shooting, I think it's still on Facebook, uh, a little, like, mini series about uh, minor league baseball. I think it was with his brother. And so I was the media relations assistant. So I had to run roster moves, you know, rosters, stat packs, lineups, game notes, 
back and forth to the clubhouses, to the press box, to the front office. Mm-hmm. One day, um, I we had a lineup change and a roster change on both teams, and it was like 15 minutes before we went on for pregame. So, you know, I'm running around huge stacks of paper with all of the new changes in my hands, and I'm in the tunnel um, underneath uh, the the concourse with the clubhouses and stuff. Bill Murray is on a gator trying to reverse like that scene from Austin Powers uh, with Mini-Me trying to go like back and forth, back and forth. (laughs) Bill is doing that. And I'm standing there like, I literally have to like be on TV soon and get these to the clubhouses and stuff like that. But I was like, you know what? This moment is going to be really cool to you in 30 minutes. It's not cool in the moment because you're so stressed. Um, But he was awesome. And then the next day uh, I was in the front office and I was just by myself again, printing. And, um, and he was walking around our different desks and looking at the wall art. Um, Cause that's another layer to all of this. It's fantastic art on the wall at their new ballpark. Ooh, okay. And so he's kind of like walking around looking at them and then sees me standing at my desk organizing. And he comes over, he goes, hi, I'm Bill Murray. Uh, what's your name? And I was like, hi, I'm Emma. <laughs> I'm just like an assistant intern, uh, but it's really nice to meet you. He's like, it's really nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here. And then just kept walking. And it was just the coolest thing. Like, he's just so chill and um, just happy to be there. And, I mean, he's so invested, uh, you know, personally and with that club. It's so cool to see him around and and still, you know, show up at random times. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. It'd be awesome for you to go back and just, like, compare, you know, how things have changed since they went from being an indie ball team to now AAA the twins so i always i always thought that was kind of like backwards i was like why is the twins triple a in new york um but they have a team with like a fantastic stadium right right there so i you know i kind of i just didn't really figure that one out but um so i you're the second person i think second maybe third that has also broadcasted games in the Alaska Baseball League. Um, Michael Bruskowski was the other one that I can think of. Do you know who he is? Oh, yeah. 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 I met him at Winter Meetings a couple years ago. Yeah, yeah. Michael's awesome. Um, Good, great broadcaster as well. Um, But he was telling me about times, like, you know, they would have games at, like, you know, really late at night and then, like, go and, like, go golfing at, like, one o'clock in the morning because it was it was still light out um oh yeah i mean yeah it was crazy in alaska yeah what was it like broadcasting games there and like living there i guess you know like you know everybody pictures like moose running all over the place and stuff like that but i mean i i'd just like to hear it from your point of view yeah i mean it's pretty accurate (laughs) um Hmm. you know i flew in my first day, um, and I left Dallas and got into Anchorage, I think at like 11 o'clock at night and I had a window seat. And so as we came in, I mean, it's just picturesque with huge, the largest mountains I've ever seen in my life. Like I had, you know, I've been in Colorado, Colorado, like once when I was like seven, like I had never really seen that kind of landscape before. So it was kind of like an, Oh crap moment. Like, what did I sign up for? And also it was bright. Like I have the sun shining in my face right now. It was brighter than it was, um, and than it is right now in, in New Jersey. So oh. it was just a complete shock to the senses. Um, and, but they threw you right into the mix and that's what I love. Like, you know, I got in 11 o'clock at night. I drove out to my host family. Um, my broadcast partner was already there. He was taking like summer classes. Oh, cool. Um, um, he was an overachiever, um, <laughs> which he's very successful right now, but, oh, sure. um, you know, it's, he was taking summer classes, so he was there early. And so we drove out to our host family's house and I mean, it was like at the foot of a mountain, they had pictures of moose in their front yard that came through all the time. Like Whoa. they were just a big, happy family that would take in the broadcasters every year. And, you know, they had two, two labs, a black lab and a yellow lab, and it was just awesome. And then the, the you know, we went to the field the next day again, like the base of this mountain um peak and i just couldn't believe it um but it was so great because the community buys in so much to that team and they just love it so much it's run by a husband and wife and their two sons and 
they just live and breathe Matsu Miners baseball. And yes, there are moose. I was told the protocol, if I hit a, hit a moose with my car, uh, which never happened, thank goodness, because apparently they total cars. You don't just like hit a moose like a deer. You, you, you know, are, right. you, your car is totaled. Yeah. Um, and then you have to call the Alaska State Troopers. Um, also was never on that TV show, thank goodness. They oh, also yeah. told us not to be on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it was awesome. Uh, my team was uh, particularly pretty talented. Uh, there's now two big leaguers. Uh, from that team and actually uh, at least one of the current players I have now with the Sea Dogs he uh, played for them a couple years after I worked for oh, them okay. uh, which is cool too of like there's just continued connections through Alaska to you know where I'm still at in my career and that's always a good icebreaker of being like hey so did you like Alaska because I was there too and yeah. talking about um, there's one place in Kenai where we went for the 4th of July and they put us up in a bingo hall, but it was like a space like adjacent to it that had one light. So if it was on, it was on. If it was off, it was pitch black. And it was just a room of bunk beds. Oh, okay. And so we had a cookout after the 4th of July game, which they don't shoot fireworks up there because it never goes dark. Um, oh. And I kid you not, we had a cookout. Two bald eagles are in the tree right next to us. And we're playing, you know, like, country american probably toby keith or whatever mm -hmm. i was just like this is the most american moment i've ever had in my life yeah <laughs> it was great wow wow that sounds awesome man i highly recommend it like you know alaska in the summer is ideal i don't know if i could do it in the winter but if you ever go up there for a trip um i mean even my aunt was up there a couple of weeks ago and i told her to you know look up pete and denise you'll find them at the game or whatever and easily track them down and they're sending me selfies and stuff of them at the game. And it was one of their like fans get in free. So everyone got in free that day because they had a sponsor for it. So it's just nice. little things like that. It just, uh, it was the best. That's awesome. Um, so shout out to you because you're the only person I think that I've interviewed that has their own Wikipedia page. So, um, <laughs> Okay, I have to say that I did not create that. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's a little backstory on that. I was on the live stream that the organist for the Boston Red Sox he does, or he oh. started in in lockdown, and he would have different guests on. He would, I mean, he's a mu musical genius. Like it's oh, he's yeah. incredibly impressive. Uh, he even played improv piano, oh. and so would literally have to improv for the improv show with piano it's crazy i mean he's super talented yeah. so um through a connection with the broadcaster for the texas rangers he asked me on and i went on and i guess one of their viewers um sometimes she thinks that uh, if she's watching and someone needs a wikipedia page she will make it um and so this woman who i've never met before made me a wikipedia page okay. um and it's yeah it's it's very new um it's only been up for like a month <laughs> oh okay gotcha well yep. i found it uh you know very helpful because so i you know obviously we'll talk we'll talk about jesse's episode you know that came out last week uh but he did mention to me that your grandfather was a was a legendary broadcaster um, and you know, I just didn't really think much of it. I didn't real, I didn't know if you were going to come on this week or, you know, whenever, but, um, so that was helpful. So my question, so we all learn things from our grandfathers, right? They're amazing people. Um, but you really followed in your grandfather's footsteps. Um, so what was the most important thing that you learned from your grandfather? Who's Bill Mercer, who was the first voice of the Texas Rangers? Yeah, I mean, I learned a lot because he, he was with the Rangers and the Dallas Cowboys, White Sox with Harry Harry. Um, and probably what he still, he got recognized last week for this for world class championship wrestling. He was buying a new mattress. He's 96 away. He was buying a new mattress and somebody recognized him from that. Um, <laughs> so okay. he, huh. yeah, he's still legendary, I guess, in the Dallas area. But um, I think that one of the biggest things I learned from him was that, you know, he never tried to, you know, push me in a different direction from broadcasting. I think it was always his dream to have someone follow in his footsteps. But, you know, with him and I, it wasn't ever like, well, you know, not a lot of girls do this. It was always like, 
all right, well, you know, you need to give the score more and you need to be more descriptive with this type of play. You need to follow the ball. You know, it was that kind of critique. It okay. wasn't ever trying to, you know, you know, push down my dreams at all. It was, you know, he, he was a professor for man, like 50 years at the university of North Texas and had a couple of female students that he would, you know, talk about and, and say, you know, they, they did really well for themselves. So there's, there's opportunities out there. Um, but you're going to have to work hard to get there and just keep, keep moving forward. Um, and that's what all, that's always what he did too. Um, I think from him, my biggest lesson aside from everything from broadcasting, they taught, taught me because I mean, let's be honest, I learned everything from him, yeah. uh, was to never say no to anything. Um, that's how he got one of his first, um, uh, jobs in baseball broadcasting was some, something was offered to him. He had technically never called it before. I think it was baseball or football. But he just said yes. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll take that job. I've done it before. I could do it. You know, I've done it with this sport. I can do it for this sport. Um, I, I'll figure it out. You know, he just kept saying yes, and that led him to more and more opportunities um, down the road. And that's kind of what I've been doing. You know, yeah. <laughs> who I, you know, who would have ever accepted a job in Alaska? And then, you know, I go back to school, and then I go to Oregon, and then Minnesota, and Kentucky, and, and now Maine. You know, it's just one opportunity after another. You just kind of have to take it as it, as it comes to you at, at a certain point yeah yeah that that is so crazy like your your grandpa was the first broadcaster for the texas rangers still getting recognized in yeah. mattress stores in texas man <laughs> that is that is wild um mm -hmm. so i know we we discussed this a little bit before we started recording but as, as everybody else knows Jesse, your fiance, was was the guest last week. What did you think of last week's episode? I was pleasantly surprised that he didn't mumble his words, that he Ooh. spoke very clearly. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I thought it was great. I you know, I think that Jesse is a, a huge asset in the minor league baseball community, whether it's affiliated or independent now. Yeah. Um so it's good to see him kind of get some recognition for that. Um but yeah, he, it's good to see that you can also pronounce words correctly and um, talk so fast. He gets excited sometimes. I don't know what he's saying, <laughs> um, but no, I, I had some friends that listened to and, and they all loved it. And um, so it's, it's good to share the, the spotlight sometimes with, with your other half. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. That's, that's what this podcast was, was made for. It was to, it was to highlight those people that work behind the scenes in minor league baseball. Um, nobody really gets that recognition. Um, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, how have you and Jesse been able to make your relationship work when you both work in baseball and even in Lexington, that's where you guys met. You guys worked together there. Yeah, it. I think it was. I think the number one thing that has helped us is the fact that we both work in minor league baseball. Mm -hmm. um, I think it could be a negative, but honestly, it's a huge positive. And he kind of talked about it too. But you know, there, people who have worked in minor league baseball are the only people that understand exactly what goes into it and mm -hmm. why you need to show up sometimes at eight a.m. for a seven o'clock game. And and you know, we don't look at each other crazy because we just get it. Um, and so I think that that was the a huge part of it is that, you know, we both understand what our separate jobs were and how we needed to be successful in those positions. Um, and, you know, it was helpful that, it, you know, I could be upfront with him when we first started dating of, you know, saying, I'm not going to be in Lexington forever. I could move next season. You know, I could move after the end of my 2018 season. You never know mm -hmm. um, because that's not my ultimate goal. My ultimate goal is major league baseball. So, um, that and I don't think he will mind eventually being married to a MLB voice one day because he's obsessed with baseball and so yeah. if he can just sit around and watch baseball for the rest of his life and be married to a broadcaster I, I don't think that he'll mind too much um but yeah. I think that you know I think that basically knows in the job and um we both like to unwind with a couple of beers after the game and whether that was at a bar or at a house together in Kentucky or, or now up in Portland um, you know, it's, it's been great to have him by our, by my side and now we're getting married and we're, we're doing the thing. So yeah. it's worked out well. All right. Well, congratulations again on your engagement. That's awesome. Um, I was telling Jesse, I said, I'm glad, you know, that it worked out for you guys. Um, 
I dated somebody in my own front office, and it did not work out whatsoever. So um, it get, it's a it's a double edged sword, right? Like like yeah, you, they they get like the the lifestyle or whatever, but also you're with them. Like if you're at the ballpark a hundred hours a week, you, you're with them like a hundred and thirty hours a week. You know, so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it it just it just didn't work out, which which is fine. Yeah, I, it's it was better for the long run for sure. Um, <laughs> so, like I said, you've been all over the place um, as far as your uh, traveling goes and your different positions. What has been your all time favorite place to live so far? So this one was tough because I've lived a lot of places I really love. Um, I would say on a temporary basis, Alaska, um, just because of the scenery and everything you could do there. Again, temporary. I never would want to live there in the winter. Okay. Um, though, aside from that, I- I'm really loving Portland. Um, I won't knock the Twin Cities. Um, St. Paul especially is fantastic, and, and it was really cool. It's a small-town vibe in a big city. Um, for St. Paul, and then you go across the river, and there's Minneapolis. Um, so I, I really liked Minnesota as well, um, but Portland is just fantastic. I mean, the people are some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Um, you can go 10 minutes and you're on the ocean. You can go 30 minutes and you're on top of a mountain, um, and it's it's phenomenal. And the community support for the team adds an extra layer to it as well. They come out in droves, whatever day of the week it is, rain or shine. I mean, That's we've awesome. had like absolutely disgusting days, 40 degree weather, 45 degree weather, and it's raining, but they're still coming out and they're, you know, they've got all their gear on, they're ready to watch the sea dogs. So nice. I think that that kind of uh, dedication is infectious and I, it's hard not to love the city whenever they're so supportive of local, you know, whether it's the baseball team, the, the, uh, uh, they have the G League team or the right. minor league hockey team. I mean, they even love their local restaurants. There's barely any chain chain stores, chain oh, restaurants there cool. at all, um, it, which is something that we noticed when we first moved up there was like, oh, you have to drive this far for a McDonald's. Like, it's it's crazy. You know, after I grew up in Dallas where there's fast food and chain restaurants and everything everywhere, but Poland is like hyper local, which I absolutely love. So, yeah. Um, and in the winter i love it so i think that's what puts it over the edge <laughs> okay all right i i'll have to get up there at some point i've never i've never been um to new england before so i'll have to get up there at some point for sure um let's see okay um i know jesse is a big foodie right but out of yes. all your ballpark travels what is the best concessions item that you have come across? Ooh, okay. So I wrote down some because I had to think of it. Um, so with Portland, I have really become accustomed to the Sea Dog Biscuit. Okay. It's small, compact. It, it delivers exactly what you want, which is just an influx of sugar. Um, it's delicious. Uh, so I'm going to have to mention that. But then, and I don't know if they still have it in St. Paul, but they had the tater tot hot dish burger um, when I was there in 2017. Um, it was basically, you know, the hot dish plate that Minnesotans make, but in a burger form. So it had the burger, but then with like m- sauteed mushrooms, uh, peas, and tater tots oh, okay. and cheese. It was divine. That sounds um, good. It was a lot of food. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it was again, one of those kind of localized things that they made special, um, for St. Paul. So I, I personally love that one. Okay. What's the, what's your favorite thing that Jesse makes? Ooh, the lasagna. Ooh. He makes a solid lasagna. Also, he cooks for like 20 people. So we have leftovers all week. Um, his, the tomato bolognese sauce or whatever it's called, he called something fancy. Uh, but it's been like passed down to him for you know family members and his and his mom and dad and stuff. And so he makes a mean lasagna. Um, what he remembers to put the meat in it. Um, he tried <laughs> one of our our first dates. He was like, "Oh, you know what? I'm gonna cook you a meal. I'm gonna show you how I can cook and everything." And so it's supposed to be our first date. He left the meat at the grocery store, 
And so he was like, oh, I'll still make it. You know, I guess I should still go for it. So we literally made a meatless lasagna for our first date. And then, I'm not even kidding, like the next day it came out that there was a E. coli outbreak or salmonella or whatever with that meat that he left at the store. So we would have both been like down for the count if he remembered it. So now every year on our anniversary, he makes the meatless lasagna because, you know, fond memories of not getting sick, but also still being together. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Okay. I dig it. I dig it a lot. Wow, that is <laughs> that's so funny. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I'm always interested to hear these stories from broadcasters. What is the best story that you can tell from traveling with a team? I know there's a lot that you might not be able to tell, but what's what's the best story that you can tell from traveling with the team? Ooh. Um so I had to think back on this one because it obviously had been a while since I've traveled. Um, but I'll go back to when I lived in Oregon for two years. Uh, it was a summer collegiate team and it was my second year there. And we we're in a second, uh, second or first year of a, I think they're now defunct league. They didn't last very long, but um, we had to go down to Southern California a ton and every time we went down there, it felt like 150 degrees because it's California. But yeah. our bus always broke down. And so, like, and I mean, like, it would, it wasn't like a complete come to a stop breakdown. It was like progressively the bus would not make it to the ballpark. And so, like, like the, first the AC would go out. So the players would open the emergency exits to try and filter in air. Right. Um, different things like that. It just was awful. And so one night after a game, I think we got blown out, of course, because that's all, what it always happens with these kind of things. We get onto the bus, and the bus won't even start. And we have to drive back to Medford, which is like seven hours. And so we're like, all right, cool. Uh, we have checked out of the hotel. We have nowhere to go. Nowhere, no, We can't even get anywhere we want to go because we have no bus. Right. So the GM of the team and Chico, he was super cool. He was like, oh, you can just hang out at the ballpark. And so literally we just went back into the stadium and played football for like four or five hours waiting for the second bus to come down and get us. And I mean, the player, like, you know, trainers over freaking out, being like, oh my God, someone like tears an ACL or something, we're definitely screwed, all this stuff. So we finally get on the bus, get back to Bedford. Next trip down, same thing happens. AC goes out, but then it's a food poisoning hits like half the bus and the smells from that bus. I will never fit in my life. And that is why I really do not care for California because every trip we went down to California, something like that happened. Even when we would make it to the team hotel, it was probably one of the worst hotels I've ever stayed in my life. Those are my horror stories that I shared with those players um but i yeah i mean every trip to california that year was awful and i don't think i've ever been back (laughs) because it was so bad yeah see all of my memories of california are awesome but yours yours are not so great but man yeah that does sound terrible oh my gosh broken buses and whatnot um yeah well even with the food poison even the bus driver like I looked up to him and he was like covering his nose and his mouth with his uh, shirt and everything. It was so, cause there was no air circulating. Right. So I'll just sat in it. Man. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've broadcasted some big moments in your career. I mean, obviously two South Atlantic league championships. Um, but what's the most memorable call that you've made so far in your career? Oh, definitely the second championship, um, the walk-off win. Okay. Um, that game was insane um, because from the minor league front office standpoint, that game it was best of five, and we could have won on Friday night. And if we had to play game five, that would have been on Saturday, which would have been the first home game for U.K. football. And um, Kentucky Athletics, I'll say it, they're a cult. Um, yeah. I don't know why. My goodness, like, that's what you do on Saturdays. You do not pay attention to anything else but University of Kentucky Athletics. So we knew we were going to be screwed with whatever sort of attendance we were going to have, which would have been, like, three people. Um, So we were hoping and praying we would get that game in and actually win it on Friday night. 
from the business standpoint, which is, I know, selfish, but, you know, yeah. you got to pay the bills. So, yeah. um, so that game, uh, about 15 minutes before the game, um, they did not have a broadcaster that traveled, which loops us right back around to where we started this. Yep. Um, but they they did bring their high A affiliates broadcaster to call the game and a media relations person um, from Hickory because that's who we were playing. Okay. And so this is why it's so important to have somebody on the road. 15 minutes before first pitch, Hickory media relations gal comes and tells me, we're scratching our starter. We have somebody else. He got injured or something. Something happened with his warm-up. Um, we're having this different guy. And so it's like, okay, great. Glad someone was here to tell me because if yeah. Hickory didn't send anyone, we would have found out at first pitch. Yep. So um, so that was super helpful. And then, but then back in my mind, I was like, oh, it's a spot starter. We've got this in the bag. But no, um, it was an absolutely epic game of no score. It was a complete pitcher's, pitcher's duel. And we ended up in extras and I, you know, with the extras innings with the runner at second and that whole thing started. Yeah. And so ninth inning goes on, then it's the 10th, then it's the 11th. And we're only game going on at that point. West coast games are done only live game. And so people are starting to pay attention. People are starting to, you know, tweet at us and all this kind of stuff, right. including uh Cespedes barbecue account, which <laughs> I love those guys. And they're like tweeting about the legends and saying like, look at this epic South Atlantic league championship game. Like, Oh my God, we made it. We did it. Yeah. Um, and so in the, I think it was the 11th inning, our first baseman Reed Rollman tries to put down a bunt, which is, you know, what you would think try to do with the runner at second. Yeah. And then he puts it straight up and it's a bunt pop out for like the final out in the 11th or something. Just like, <sighs> Oh my gosh. Fast forward to the 13th inning runner on and it's a we're trailing oh wait no no, no. we're still tied one one okay but we have a runner on same guy steps up to the plate and at this point it's the bottom of the 13th on friday the 13th he hits a walk off two run home run to win the championship and we win it one three technically three one but yeah ones and threes all over like it was just one of those surreal baseball things yeah and you know after his last at bat where he popped it up comes back and wins it and then he retires voluntarily (laughs) (laughs) he's no longer in baseball (laughs) so i have to say that that was that's still my favorite call i mean i i still uh, yeah still gives me chills with that one just because it was so epic I can see why. So, like, how soon after that game did he retire? It was a few months. Okay. Like, I mean, we were, well, I mean, around that time, too, we were getting the whole, like, contraction stuff. But um, I think we got that news quite a few months after. But it was just kind of funny to think, like, if you're going to go out, that's the way to do it. Yep, yep. I get you. Yeah, we had a guy... um, in Beloit and at this point in in this guy's career he was like basically a first base coach like he was he was not he he was on the IL the mo the majority of the year like like basically the coaching staff was telling me like he was basically an extra coach and um but they they put him in the lineup for a couple games and um he hit a walk-off three-run bomb in the bottom of the ninth, um, and I'm pretty sure that was his last professional at bat. Um, so <laughs> that's yeah. epic. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> I thought it wasn't in the playoffs or anything like that, but still, like that's your last at bat. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, so you, obviously, you've traveled all over the place. What's the best and worst promotion that you've seen in your travels? Um, okay, so best, I Jesse stole mine. It was going to be Millennial and, and Fire Festival night. That was pretty um, cool. I love those. And I I'll, so I haven't gotten to hit that part of his podcast yet, I'll, I'll admit it. Um, but I bet he didn't talk about this. One of my favorite parts about Millennial Night um, from the media relations part of it was the fact that I got to write the press release announcing – that we were going to do that night. Yeah. And so one thing that I learned from St. Paul was if you're going to do a promotion, you have to immerse yourself in it and all aspects of how you do it. And that mm-hmm. includes the press releases. Yep. Um, and so I got to have so much fun with the millennial night one. And then I, I continued it on with Firefest. 
of talking in depth about different little aspects that we're going to have like the selfie station and that kind of stuff uh you know like just adding that extra layer in um and kind of spicing it up with the media a little bit because you know they just get boring press releases all the time you know why not have some fun yeah um but i think my overall favorite promotion was the world's largest game of twister um mm. that was with the saint paul saints saint paul saints um that thing was epic because we pulled an all-nighter after a night game to paint um, probably hundreds of thousands of Twister dots on the outfield. Uh, And we went like, I don't know, maybe it was like 12 by 12, essentially kind of tarps with holes in them. And we'd go, you know, piece by piece, uh, borrowed some of the spray paint from, I think it was the Twins and the University of Minnesota um, grounds crew departments. And we just, our grounds crew had backpacks on so one would have the blue, one would have the red, one would have the yellow, one would have the green, and we'd keep on doing it, keep on doing it. And it literally took all night. Um, and so then we'd like sneak away to have, you know, beers and pizza because it's the Saints, everything is fun about it. And yeah. it, so everyone's spirits were high and music was playing. It was just like, just fun. And then to see that, see the sunrise, and like illuminate the twister dots. I mean, I still have pictures and stuff for my phone. It's just one of the coolest things I've ever seen and, and just have you know, fans go out and, um, and enjoy it. And then the grass, I guess, didn't grow as quickly as our grounds crew wanted it to. So it actually stuck around, um, for a little while. Uh, we did try and cut it and everything, but it was just really cool to kind of see it slowly fade as the season started to fade as well. Um, but that one I'll never forget because you know i had a hand in it and spent all night at the ballpark uh painting i was gonna i was gonna say like i can't believe like a head groundskeeper was on board with that honestly but yeah but i think that that's an extra layer to the saints that when you get hired and if you have those types of positions i mean even their their manager george samus i mean he was game for anything that they did and i think as a groundskeeper you have to also and yeah. um and they do respect the field tremendously um i will say that but at the end of the day it's just paint it's yeah, gonna wash right. away and the grass is gonna grow so. yeah yeah all right what about the worst promotion oh the worst one oh, man okay so this was this was this season i did not go to it um but it made me kind of question some things it was like the 21 and over uh or adults only night. I think it was in the team in the California league did it. Um, I don't know if you can do that in an affiliated. I think that's a great indie ball promotion. And I've already told Jesse my ideas that they could do in Lexington or West Virginia. Um, But I think that that defeats the purpose of minor league baseball when you're selling family friendly fun. Right. And then you're like, well, leave the kids at home. We're going to get wild. Um, Then again, I wasn't there, so I don't know, but the stories that I heard out of it were kind of cringeworthy. Um, okay. But, hey, if it sells tickets, I guess. I don't know. But yeah. um, I would definitely like to hear more about it. Right, um, right. See how it went. But just on the surface, I don't know. <laughs> the press release was probably pretty fun to write. <laughs> see, that's what I'm saying. I would have liked to write that press release, yeah. but, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, may- maybe um, at a later point in your career. Who knows? We'll see. Exactly. All right, so I know in Lexington you had to pull tarp. Like there, there are some teams like the radio broadcasters. Sometimes they don't pull tarp. Sometimes they do. I don't know. Um, Delmarva primarily they do not. But um, so I know in Lexington you did. So do you have any crazy tarp stories? Okay, I wrote down two. All so right. one is in Lexington. Um, cause I know Jesse already told you the most epic one with the girl getting lost under the tarp yeah. and that whole thing. Not top 10. Um, not top 10, 10 at all. And I don't even think she works in sports anymore. So we really, yikes. Yeah. Um, so in Lexington, we showed up for a tarp pool and there were like seven of us or something. And it happened to be like, it was just one of those big storms that comes across the middle of the country where you could see the impending thunderclouds and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, it must have been after a game because the Booster Club was having 
uh, meeting with some of the players and hosting them for post-game spread. But the majority of the staff somehow left and just never came back. You know, happens. So there was very limited numbers of us. We get the tarp out. But then at that same point, the wind starts to kick up. And that was my first time I was on a corner trying to hold it down. But the middle of the tarp blew up. And that was my first only time that I've actually been lifted and thrown mm. back on the ground by the tarp monster. Mm. Um, but the booster club freaking loved it. They're like, oh, my God, look at Emma out there. She's working so hard. Meanwhile, I'm like, I think my whole body is broken. Like, yeah. I'm not that young anymore. Like, that did not feel well. Um, so no. uh, so that was that was pretty brutal. We had a, quite a few of those in Lexington with only like six. I think we had a 2 a.m. one with six people. Um, but, you know, that's one of the perks of living with the coworkers. You can carpool to tarp pools in the middle of the night. Right. Um, so that one was probably pretty epic. Um, luckily, we haven't had any bad ones in Portland um, quite yet, though we've had some pretty gnarly storms. Um, I do. I will say as a broadcaster, I will pull tarp. Um, the only time I won't be down there is if I have to actually keep broadcasting or it's in the middle of the game. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I, you know, I think that Jesse touched on it too, is it's the great equalizer of front office staffs. And yep. if your president is down there pulling tarp with you, I think you're in a good spot. If your president and GM are nowhere to be found when a tarp pool is, is going on and you need help, I think that should be a red flag for your organization because I think that everyone from the top to the bottom should be out there contributing to the team. And I've seen it this year. Um, different teams while I've been on the road of, you know, their GM not pulling it and you have five people trying to get this tarp out. And so I think that, um, I think it's a great way to view your organization and a current state of affairs, um, Mm -hmm. for your team. So I definitely agree with that. That's yeah. Um, all right. So we do have some listener questions. Um, okay. Your job requires a vast knowledge of the sport teams and players what goes into getting your information lined up for a game? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, a lot of research. I will go through, well, obviously I do the game notes every day. Yeah. Um, and then I'll try to, time dependent, uh, Google each player and look up news articles on them um, and kind of try and stray away from stats. Um, but at the same time, I'll go and just ask them straight up now that I can get on the field and stuff with all the COVID stuff being lifted. Because um, talking to them is the best. That's when they open up to you the most. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I'll do a ton of research on stories. Um, the Athletic is is great. They're kind of doing more stories on minor league affiliates they and minor are, league clubs. Yeah. yeah, so I'll try and c- compile all of that and put it in a binder um, and kind of have some information on each player that I can pull from. Okay. That sounds like a lot of work. Um, do you think it would make sense to have a color analyst in the booth? Someone like Jesse, maybe? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe down the line, as like my last broadcast of my career, like I'm going off into the sunset. I'm like, oh, let's bring this guy in. Let him have his day, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean... He is, I hate to say it, but he probably knows more about baseball than I do. Ooh. I mean, he's like a New York Yankees like savant that will right. tell you the breakdown of each trade and how it panned out down to the prospects that were traded because um, he's a good, he's a pretty big Cashman fan. Um, so he, he likes what, what he's up to and stuff. But, but yeah, like he, he knows baseball to another level. Like we'll be watching a game and he'll say something to me and then the broadcasters will say it like 10 seconds later. And he's like, <laughs> I need to be a broadcaster. I was like, yeah, but you mumble, so... Yeah, yeah. He did call a couple innings last year, right? He did, and uh, his information was good. He got a a crutch uh, phrase pretty quickly. Uh, It was uh, that right there or something like that. Like, something... (laughs) And that, there we go. Something weird where it's just like, I've never even heard you say this phrase before, but now you're saying it with, like, every at-bat. Uh, so he did, and then he rubbed it in my face in 2020. He actually called a couple double A innings in Binghamton, oh. and so in all of 2020, when I wasn't calling games, he was like, "Yeah, well, I've called more double A innings than you have. Oh, you know, I'm the better man. broadcaster in the house." I'm like, oh my gosh! So after my first game with Portland, I rubbed it in his face back. I was like, "Who has more innings now? I've done nine. You've done two. <laughs> That's kind of crazy, though. That like, I mean, obviously he's an indie ball now, like 
he can trade players and 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 sign players and stuff like that which is like i was talking to him about it and i was like yeah the only experience i have was with that is like you know i i run my own nba 2k franchise you know on on ps4 but um yeah i just think i just think that's so wild that that he like has the freedom to do that kind of yeah and it i mean for him it's perfect too because he is always in on whatever movement there's going, you know, there's that's happening at whatever level it is, triple A, double A. And I mean, he's got you beat on NBA 2K, by the way, he has a baseball sim league game that dates back years that like you control your single A teams even. Um, oh. And it's like even more in depth than MLB the show. So I've, I've heard of yeah, that before. He was built for this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, he is built for it for sure. <laughs> um, you pick, you picked a winner. Let me tell you. Yeah, he did too. So, yeah, you know, exactly, good <laughs> exactly. Um, my, it's so funny. Like my my wife does not give a shit about sports whatsoever. Like I'll find something like interesting. And I'll be like, "Hey, did you hear this?" And she'll be like, "I really do not care." Like, like <laughs> e- even like you know, like she's into like the reality TV and stuff like that. And I'm just like. Hey, did you know so and so's dating this Kardashian? And, or and and she she be like, yeah, I knew that two weeks ago. Thanks. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like oh, okay, whatever, you know. Um, but yeah, he he would talk about the Yankees nonstop if I didn't stop him because I'll usually stop him and talk about Red Sox stuff. Yeah, and that'll get him to shut up pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Goodness. Uh, so where can the listeners find you on social media, Emma? Um, I have the same handle across Twitter and Instagram at Emma Teeds, T I E D S. All right, pretty simple. Awesome, and so I know you've listened to a couple episodes. I don't know if you got to the end yet, um, but during your minor league baseball career, what has been your favorite walk-up song, and whose was it? Okay, so this one's not technically affiliated. Um, when I was in Oregon. One of our shortest players on the team had the Skilo, I wish I was, uh, which was like, I wish I was a little bit taller, a little bit whatever. And so it was at that part where he would walk to the plate. I think he was five, six. He walked to the plate and it was, but it'd get the whole crowd like kind of bopping their heads and stuff. But it also related to him because, you know, he always would say, if I was a little bit taller, I could be drafted and all that kind of stuff. Um, So it was Jerron Davis with the Medford Rogues. That's the one that I always kind of remember. Um, and I will say he's actually um, in partner ball, I guess. Uh, he's a coach with, I think, Ogden. I think okay. they're a partner league. Yeah. Um, so he's he's in professional baseball and uh, and finally made his way in. So I think it's it's cool that he, he did it, even though he's a little bit shorter. Yeah. Um, but he loves baseball, and it was a great walk-up song. Perfect for him. It That is a really good song, though. So, like okay i dig it that's awesome yeah all right well thank you so much emma for taking the time to come on to the pulling tart podcast really appreciate it um and i know you're you're on the road right now still doing interviews and whatnot like you could be working on game notes and and all that good stuff but um i'll let you go um but again thank you so much You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation.